The only thing in the mail that day of any interest was the eviction notice. There was also a letter from the Wall Street Journal, which promised that I could get fairly rich, if only I would subscribe for just six months. While down in Atlanta, Julian Bond had written, wanting to know whether I wouldn't like to send another $25 to help keep the Republic fairly honest. I tossed the Wall Street Journal's promise into the wastebasket, made a mental note to cut Julian Bond off with $10, and handed the eviction notice to Myron Green, the lawyer, who had brought my mail up with him that morning. Myron Green read the letter slowly and suspiciously, the way lawyers read everything, even the closed cover before striking admonition on match folders. He read it once at arm's length, then put on a pair of gray-tinted aviator glasses and read it again. After that he shrugged and handed it back to me. It's an eviction notice, he said. I know what it is, I said. What I don't know is what I can do about it. Myron Green glanced around the room, and although he must have tried, he couldn't keep the small expression of disapproval from sliding across his face. He shook his head and said, There's really only one thing you can do about it. What? Move. I looked around trying to see it through the eyes of some benevolent Christian whom the goodwill people had sent over and who was viewing it all for the first time. What I was being evicted from was a deluxe efficiency on the ninth floor of the Adelphi Apartment Hotel on East 46th Street. It was about 425 square feet of steam-heated space that contained virtually everything I owned in the world, other than the $9,215.26 in a checking account over which the Chase Manhattan Bank was standing constant vigil. I decided that even a benevolent goodwill representative— who had shaped his career out of cheerfully collecting other people's discards, might have gulped and sighed before agreeing to accept mine. There was a book-lined wall, but most of the books were worn paperbacks, except for a leather-bound set of Dickens, although nobody reads Dickens much anymore. The bed was what I think they used to call a studio couch, and it was beginning to sag a bit. There was also a leather-wing-backed easy chair that I liked a lot, and a small Sony-colored TV set whose predominantly yellowish cast made everyone, especially Severide, appear faintly choleric. Then in front of the Pullman kitchen was the 121-year-old butcher block that I pounded the round steak on. Not far from it against the wall was the high-fidelity set that played just fine, even though after I had put it all together there had been a couple of loose wires left over. On the floor was a rug, and on the walls were some prints that I still didn't mind looking at, and in the center of the room, surrounded by six mismatched straight-back chairs, was where I took my meals and sometimes laid my money down. It was a hexagonal poker table whose green baize cover was marred by a dark stain that had been caused when a homicide South detective had got all excited after filling an inside straight and knocked over his Bloody Mary at 5.15 one Sunday morning. Myron Green and I were sitting at the poker table, he in his dark blue pinstriped vested suit, and I in my terry-cloth bathrobe. "'You have to be in court today, don't you?' I said. "'How do you know?' "'You're either going to court or to a funeral. Otherwise you'd be wearing something more dashing. Maybe something in crushed velvet with a few posies appliqued on the back.' Myron Green liked to think of himself as a dandy, but he wasn't too sure about his taste, and he liked me to encourage him. He glanced down at his suit and brushed away some imaginary lint. "'It's five years old.' and it still fits perfectly. You haven't lost any weight in five years. You can be awfully snotty in the morning, 
I'm always snotty when I get up in the morning without any coffee and somebody hands me an eviction notice. You want some coffee? Is it instant? It's always instant. Myron Green shook his head. Then I don't want any. How about some tea? I said. Myron Green had to think about that because it was a decision, and he never made decisions without weighing the consequences carefully and even judiciously. His inbred caution, along with his brilliant grasp of the law, kept his corporate clients out of trouble and had made him wealthy, if not really rich, although he probably would be that in a few more years. All right, he said. Tea. No sugar. Lemon, if you've got it. I've got it.